Oral questions by members? Leader of the Official Opposition. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. The lack of a government plan to administer booster shots is causing increasing anxiety and concern across the province. The BC Assembly of First Nations, the Wet'suwet'en First Nation, the Lake Babine First Nation, all are calling for immediate booster shots for their communities. Tragically, there have been two deaths in less than two weeks in the Wet'suwet'en community and six deaths among the Lake Babine Nation, which is under a state of emergency. Regional Chief of the BCAFN, Terry Teege, has this to say, and I quote, we are alarmed and are, are urging quick action as the situation is becoming an emergency. It has now been approximately seven months since many First Nations in BC received their second dose, end quote. So can the Premier tell us today exactly when First Nations, like those who are calling out to the government as a state of emergency to deliver booster shots, when exactly will that happen? Minister of Health. Uh, thank you very much, Honourable Speaker. Thank you to the member for a question. Uh, I think these are obviously critical questions for everybody, and there's enormous anxiety in communities across BC. Uh, last week, we discussed the issue in long-term care and assisted living. Happy to know between two and two, 200 and 250 care homes have been completed now, and we expect most care homes to be completed next week. With respect to other people in the community, I just want to note that in general, jurisdictions who have looked at this question have looked six to eight months after first doses in terms of when a possible booster shot might be uh, provided. In BC, eight months ago, we had completed about 68,000 second doses. Uh, six months ago, about 89,000. And to date, we've done about 88,000 booster or additional third doses in BC. Tomorrow, uh, and there will be a detailed briefing for the opposition, for others in BC, we're providing a detailed plan for everyone in, in BC, what they can expect with respect to booster doses. It will be provided uh, by myself, Dr. Ballum, and Dr. Henry. And uh, I, I expect those questions will be answered then. In addition to that, Northern Health is obviously reaching out and working with both the Lake Babine First Nation, the Wet'suwet'en First Nation. I know uh, the member's colleague uh, from the area is also very interested in this question to work on their specific and detailed questions. With respect to the Wet'suwet'en, for example, right now the first dose rate is about 77% and the second dose rate is 69%. So what's required there is obviously consideration of the potential for booster doses, but also to continue to raise up first and second dose immunization. Leader of the Official Opposition, supplemental question. Well, thank you very much, uh, Mr. Speaker. And the vast majority of British Columbians did everything they were asked to do and more. They went for their first shot, they showed up for their second shot, and now anxiety is increasing about their booster shot. And in fact, we saw last week, and the minister can uh, list the numbers, the fact of the matter is that this government should have been far more ready to deal with booster shots, particularly for frail elderly British Columbians in long-term care. British Columbia is lagging against, uh, uh, behind other jurisdictions. As of October 15th, residents in Yellowknife, age 60 and up, have been able to receive a booster shot if they are six months past their second dose. Third doses for Albertans 75 and over, as well as First Nations 65 and over, are also available. 
starting today in Saskatchewan, people who are 50 plus and living in the North or in First Nations communities will be eligible for a booster. That's what other jurisdictions have managed to roll out. We're still waiting to hear the details from this Premier and this Minister. And let's be clear, and the Minister knows this, 93% of British Columbians who are over the age of 65 live independently. They live in community. They are anxious, they are concerned, and they want to hear specifically from this Premier exactly when they will get their booster shot. Minister Felt. Well, thank you very much, uh, Honourable Speaker, and uh, again to the member. Uh, we'll be providing detail tomorrow. We started our booster shot program in the middle of September with those most clinically vulnerable. First, those whose effect, the effect of the first and second shot wasn't complete and required a third shot, and that process is essentially or in large measure done. We've added to that long-term care and assisted living, obviously, and that is, I think by the end of this week, will be largely completed in terms of eligible third-dose immunization amongst that group of people. And we've also added, at the end of September, 100,000 clinically vulnerable people. What I'm pointing out to the honourable member is different jurisdictions did have different approaches. It's true, especially with first and second doses. So some jurisdictions had a shorter interval between first and second doses, and that affects, because we want these uh, immunizations to be effective, and we want to follow the science on that. As I noted to the, to the member, eight months ago it was about 65,000. Uh, uh, six months ago it was about 84,000 in total British Columbians have received both doses. So we're well in line. We're preparing it. We're going to lay out a detailed plan for people uh, tomorrow with respect to third-dose immunizations. And we've already and already acting in key areas, and we'll continue to work with the First Nations Health Authority and everyone else to ensure that the third-dose process rolls out as successfully as the first and second-dose process did in BC. Member for West Vancouver-Capilano. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, NASI has recommended, Mr. Speaker, that anyone over the age of 65 should benefit from a high-dose influenza shot. Other provinces, including Ontario, Alberta, PEI, and New Brunswick, provide all seniors with the high-dose flu vaccine. So my question to the Premier, Mr. Speaker, is why aren't all BC seniors offered the high-dose flu vaccine as well as seniors are offered in other provinces? Minister of Health. Thank you very much, Honourable Speaker. In British Columbia, and it's part of our partnership with the federal government, all seniors uh, living in long-term care and assisted living and other residents, so obviously there are other people living in long-term care and assisted living will be eligible for the high-dose flu shot. In addition to that, uh, some Indigenous seniors will be eligible uh, under certain specific circumstances. We have dramatically expanded our flu shot campaign this year. For the first time ever in British Columbia, it will be free for everybody, and I think everybody in this House would agree that's the right thing. Two years from now, Two years ago, we ordered about 1.5 million flu shots. This year, it's 2.4 million, which shows the expansion of that campaign. And at the heart of it, at the center of it, is the work of pharmacists who delivered the majority for the first time of flu shots last year and will deliver the vast majority this year. So we're expanding our flu shot campaign. 
we're using high-dose uh, shots in long-term care and assisted living. And I think, and I encourage every British Columbian uh, over the age of six months, obviously, but every British Columbian to get their flu shot as soon as possible. Member for West Vancouver. Thank you, Mr. Speaker, and thank you to the Minister. Um, I just heard that the majority of seniors, I believe it's 93% of seniors, are living independently in the province of British Columbia. Um, so what the Minister has just said to us is that those independently, uh, those uh, seniors living independently are not going to be getting this. So high-dose flu shots provide better protection, and our seniors deserve it. Seniors represent about 15% of the population, Mr. Speaker, yet they account for up to 70% of the flu hospitalizations and 90% of those deaths. But there's not that but here's what happened to 75-year-old Janice Newman. Quote, I have non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So as soon as flu shots were available, I phoned my pharmacy, but was told that the high doses were not available. End quote. So, Mr. Speaker, to the Premier, why aren't all seniors in British Columbia eligible for high-dose shots and given the protection that they deserve? Minister of Health. Honourable uh, Speaker, our campaign in BC is, uh, uh, goes forward with, uh, obviously, with my support and our effort and the procurement of very significant numbers of flu vaccine, an unprecedented amount this year, and with the advice of public health, and we are proceeding with that this year, we encourage all seniors, especially all seniors, to get their flu shot as soon as possible. This is an effective campaign, and it's made more effective when more people take part. That's why we ordered 900,000 more doses than we did two years ago, and 300,000 more doses than we did last year, in order to give all British Columbians the opportunity to do that. And we're going to continue to work and, and, and allow and encourage British Columbians to get their shot. Member for Saanich North End Islands. Mr. Speaker, in British Columbia, inequality is on the rise. I'm not talking about income inequality, which is a huge issue unto itself. I'm talking about wealth inequality. The gap is visible in our housing market. For decades, we've treated having safe, secure housing as a privilege, not as a right. As a result of the commodification of housing, those who are lucky enough to own real estate see their wealth growing, while those who do not own their own home are struggling to keep up with the rising costs of living. This government has been reactive by investing public money to decrease some costs, but in reality, we can't spend enough money to make up for the structural changes that are needed to combat the growing wealth inequality that the status quo policy protects. Through Honourable Speaker to the Minister of Finance, what is the Minister doing to combat wealth inequality? Minister of Finance. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker, and I want to express gratitude uh, to the member for, for the question because uh, I, I, too, um, am concerned. I think everybody here in this House is concerned about the challenges uh, that British Columbians have certainly been telling us for some time about uh, affordability and about what it means to them to be able to uh, have a family, uh, raise a family. Uh, and age with dignity here in this province. And that's why we've taken, over the last four years, significant steps to address that. It's why, Honourable Speaker, we addressed, um, the, uh, from a housing perspective, it's why we brought in a speculation vacancy tax. It's why we brought in the largest investment in housing uh, in, in this province's history. It's why, Honourable Speaker, we removed tolls on bridges so that there's more money in people's pockets. It's why, Mr. Speaker, it's 
why, Mr. Speaker, we undertook you know, uh, a wholesale uh, revamp of ICBC to make sure that, again, we can put money back into people's pockets, because that's really critical to British Columbians. We're going to keep doing that work because we know how important it is to British Columbians. Member for Sandwich Northern Ireland, supplemental. Uh, Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. But from what I'm hearing from my constituents and many British Columbians is that uh, while the minister is able to provide examples of what's happening, the actual structural changes that are needed are not happening uh, quickly enough in order to make life actually more affordable. We can talk about life being more affordable, but it's life and affordability is still out of reach for many British Columbians. Entire generations of people cannot afford to live in the communities that they work in. As a result, the business and service providers that they work for are chronically understaffed. The housing market is detached from the economic reality of most British Columbians, except for those who have been able to accumulate wealth over decades. The cost of child care is making having children more difficult. The cost of transportation and food are also increasing. We achieved our legislative poverty reductions largely because of actions the federal government took. We need structural changes across a number of ministries, but it starts with the budget from the Minister of Finance. She must remove her reliance on revenue uh, on re real estate transaction, ensure public money is only financing true non-market housing solutions, and coordinate with her colleagues to ensure restrictive community planning and zoning does not further entrench wealth inequality in housing. To the Minister of Finance, generations of British Columbia need this government to take the bold, progressive measures we're seeing other jurisdictions take. What is the government doing to combat wealth inequality in the housing market? Minister of Finance. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Well, I, I think the members opposite uh, seem to forget about a whole list of other actions that this government has taken and continues to take by eliminating MSP, by, by, by again, putting money back in people's pockets. By starting the largest social program uh, in, in decades and decades with a child care plan. <laughs> Average hourly wages have increased to, to over $30 an hour. Before, in 2017, it was only $25 an hour. Honourable Speaker, that makes significant differences to people. The largest increase in social assistance rates, too, Honourable Speaker, has made a difference for those who are at the bottom, those who have been struggling so hard, Honourable Speaker. We also have the Child Opportunity Benefit, Mr. Speaker, again, putting uh, about $130 up to, I think, um, in people's pockets uh, that really make a difference in their uh, ability to care for their families. We know that there's more work to do. No one is saying that that isn't the case, but we're off to a fabulous start, and I can't wait to continue to deliver for the people of this province. Member for Fraser Nicola. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The patchwork education vaccine guidelines unveiled by the Premier late last Friday night are nothing short of ridiculous. 61 school boards are faced with a 17-step process, including 61 different legal reviews. You can barely get two lawyers to agree let alone 61 legal opinions for school districts. This is a provincial health issue that impacts children, teachers and staff, and the Premier refuses to lead. To the Premier, how is this anything more than a delay tactic? 
Minister of Education. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. And thank you to the, to the member for the question, but I, I have to say I don't think there's anything ridiculous about a process that ensures we're respecting the co-governance relationship that we have with boards of education in this province. There is nothing ridiculous about ensuring we are working in collaboration and cooperation Members. with educators, with workers, with superintendents, with finesse, with everyone who has worked so hard through the course of this pandemic to ensure that kids are safe, that kids have access to in-person learning, because we know that that is what is best for the children of this province. We are working with our partners to ensure that they are supported in assessing the impact of such potential policies, that they're gathering the data so that they can understand what the potential impacts are, and they are supported in this process by BCPC, by the Ministry of Education. We have a provincial framework that is going to support boards in moving forward, and I am so proud of the work that, uh, that boards are doing and uh, that we are going to continue to support. Thank you. Member for Fraser Nicholas Supplemental. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. These complex guidelines admit, and I quote, there is value in having a coordinated approach to avoid highly variable health and safety standards, end quote. But the Premier prefers a set of complex guidelines instead of protecting our children. Ironically, these guidelines even say that school boards need to adhere to FOIPA when checking vaccination status, something the Premier is radically changing as we speak. Why won't the Premier take the lead and implement a provincial standard? Minister of Education. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. And I, uh, you know, I, I mean, one thing I will say is that I do believe that everyone in this House shares a concern for what is happening in our education system with respect to, to, to COVID and, and, and kids. And I want to say this is the third school year that educators, our, our board, trustees, uh, district, and school leadership have been grappling with COVID. And boards uh, are supported in the work that they are doing right now by the BC Public School Employers Association. They are supported by the Ministry of Education, and they are grappling with the diversity of opinions that they are receiving uh, from their communities on what is a very serious and complex issue that deserves the level of attention it is receiving uh, by boards in support, uh, being supported by our, by our provincial framework. So that's the work we're going to continue to do to make sure we can keep schools open, keep them safe, keep kids accessing in-person learning. Thank you. Member for Surrey White Rock. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And let, let's be clear, the reason the districts are grappling is because this minister, this premier, has not shown any leadership on this issue. 61 school boards, 61 school boards against each other, and it's children, teachers, and staff who are going to pay the price. And the Minister of Finance can laugh all she wants, but it is going to take months and months for parents and students and staff to get directions. In the north, people are making death threats. 
And this Premier and this Minister are throwing school trustees to the wolves. Will the Premier show some leadership and stop hiding behind school boards and make sure that we aren't seeing this 61 different times? Minister of Education. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Uh, I have to say it has, it has not been my experience that boards are actually against each other on this point. I've had considerable opportunity to meet with board chairs, to meet with district, uh, with district leadership over the last two weeks, and my experience is that there is actually a high degree of collaboration and a strong will to cooperate. In in moving forward on these questions, as there Order. has been since the pandemic. Boards are working in collaboration with their school medical health officers in the context of a provincial framework with one set of advice from BCPC, with support from the Ministry of Education, and that is what we will continue to do. Member first, Surrey White Rock, supplemental. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Just over a year ago, the Premier said, and I quote, safe operation of our schools is not the responsibility of the Premier. End quote. That's pretty telling. Well, it's unacceptable for the Premier to be missing in action when our student safety is on the line. And for the Minister's clarification, we're already hearing mixed opinions. In Surrey, they've issued a statement doubting the value of a mandate. Other districts are saying it's a possibility. And other districts have said they have no plans to do this Premier and this Minister's job. Will the Premier put public health first and stop hiding behind school boards? Minister of Education. Thank you, Honourable, Honourable Speaker. And I, I will say again that the work that boards are doing is, uh, is extremely important with respect to the, the, the consultation that they are engaging in with their communities, with their employee groups, with First Nations in their communities. And the situation they are dealing with is different from, from community to community. Uh, but this work is, is, it is critical that this work is done in collaboration with communities in the context of uh, of a provincial framework that respects the role and the authority of school boards to make decisions for their communities. They are being supported in this work by our provincial guidelines through our provincial framework, and we are working closely, collaboratively with all of our education partners, as we have done, to continue to achieve the remarkable work that has been achieved in our education Members. sector in British Columbia throughout this pandemic, which is keeping our schools open, keeping our kids safe, and mitigating the transmission of COVID in schools, which is exactly what is happening now and will continue to happen. Member for Caribbean North. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Well, it's not just our K-12 education system. The Premier has also rolled out a patchwork vaccine plan to universities, and this has created confusion and worry. At UBC, there appears to be no enforcement of the vaccine requirements whatsoever. Professor Mauricio Drelechman of UBC said, and I quote, when an unvaccinated person at UBC refuses to submit a mandatory declaration 
No action is being taken, end quote. Will the Premier take action to ensure students, faculty and staff are properly protected? Minister of Advanced Education. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. And through you to the member across, thank you so much for my very first question in question period. And thank you for being such a great partner to work with um, in uh, advanced education. The past year, the past two years, has been really difficult for students in, in, in universities and colleges. And I first and foremost want to say thank you to all the students for being very resilient. As well, thank you so much to all the faculty and staff and all the presidents for working with our health authorities. <laughs> Through you, Honourable Speaker, Post-secondary institutions are independent organizations, autonomous of government, which will implement their own protocols following the public health office guidelines. But also, I am very proud to know that uh, most recently, most po uh, post-secondary institutions have reported that 90% of their students and faculties are vaccinated. So we know Member for Caribbean North Supplemental. Yeah, thank you very much, Mr. Speaker, and, and thank you to the Minister. But to be clear, this patchwork system is simply not working. People are able to walk onto a campus, attend a class with up to 300 people, and there's no enforcement in place. You can go online and click a little button and say, yep, I'm vaccinated, but they're not checking. There's no proof of vaccination, and further, there is no rapid testing available. We could provide some considerable results today. Will the minister stand up today, provide rapid testing across the province and colleges? Will the minister stand up and provide the additional resources that many institutions across this province, like the University of Northern British Columbia, the College of New Caledonia, when you look at communities that are so impacted right now with, um, with some of the restrictions that are being put in place in Northern British Columbia that simply do not have access to additional resources? The minister could stand in this house today put those valuable resources into the system, make rapid testing a priority. So please, do the right thing, end the patchwork approach, and provided the much-needed resources, the rapid testing available to, to ensure students, faculty, and staff are going to be safe. Minister of Advanced Education. Thank you, Honourable Speaker, and through you, vaccination rates in post-secondary institutions and across campuses in BC are very high. And this is the largest vaccination program in history, and our rates are really good. Um, when I visited uh, campuses on uh, colleges, institutes, and universities, they were very excited to return back to campus. Not only that, professors are very excited to have students in their classrooms. Vaccination rates on, on our campuses are 90%. Uh, we have our baseline, we have um, our, our institutes a safe support return to in-person learning campus with our masks in classrooms, as well as BC vaccination cards on campus to ensure that students Students in restaurants, in our pubs, in ticketed events are safe. And students are excited. 
They want to be back. They're excited to be back. They've told me that they're excited. What I hear is that they're happy to be back. Everyone's following the guidelines of Dr. Bonnie Henry, and I'm very proud that presidents continue to work very closely with the public health. Member for Surrey South. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, the idea of not using a resource that's available while we're waiting for another resource is just unthinkable. But that's what's happening. Complete lack of leadership on this, Mr. Speaker. As the Surrey School Board notes, the vast majority of cases in schools are students who are ineligible to be vaccinated. But we have rapid tests. We could be using those to assist. So let's use the tests and upgrade later. Let's not let the tests gather dust in a warehouse any further. It's what Ontario's doing. It's what Saskatchewan is doing. They're even sending some tests home. So to the Minister of Education, will she do the right thing and advocate with the Minister of Health to ensure that we use rapid tests in our education system? Minister of Health. Uh, thank you very much, Honourable Speaker, and uh, thank you very much, Honourable Speaker, and thank you to the member for her question. As the member will know, since December of 2020, rapid tests have been used in our COVID response, as directed by the experts, our, our experts at the Provincial uh, Health Office and the BCCDC. Members will also know that take-home tests, uh, uh, rapid tests, which will have real utility for children will soon be available in significantly wider numbers in BC. And as Dr. Henry has said, and as I've said, will provide another option, especially for parents who are in a circumstance where their child uh, has some mild illness, to be able to provide such tests. Those, those tests, especially the Roche tests, which are available in sufficient quantities to make that happen, will be available soon. And I think, uh, I think that will be very much part of our response on COVID-19, but I'd just say, Finally, and in a general sense, Honourable Speaker, that what we're going to see in the coming month, we believe, is a real advance, a real advance in safety in schools. That is the expansion of immunization to children 5 to 11. And our task, all of us together, I think, Honourable Speaker, is to ensure here in BC that everyone who's eligible to be vaccinated gets vaccinated. And I hope everyone in this House will support that effort. The bell and the question.